Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Vents. This is Fed Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. Let's get it cracking. Hey, and welcome to Vent Weekly. I'm Amelia. And I'm Santos. Each week, we chat to a journalist or expert about a topic we think is important. According to a study by the local government association last year, Young adults in the UK are now half as likely to own a home as the generation before them. The LGA also found that, in some parts of London, rents equate to more than half of household earnings. So what's going on with renting in the UK? My rent is almost about 50% of what I earn. Just as a freelance writer, yeah, I was late most week, most months. I had to borrow money from someone <laughs> to fix it, and then I had to take extra work so that I could pay it off. No, I'm lucky enough that I do not struggle to pay my rent, but I do pay it as soon as my paycheck comes in so that that doesn't happen. I have a side business as well, so it's working okay now, but initially, yes, I struggle. Today, we've invited staff writer Simon Charles hey. and an author of Vice's Rental Opportunity of the Week column, Joel Golby, to get to the bottom of housing in London. You guys all right? I'm all right, yeah. Can I just say, this room would be really good to do a murder in. <laughs> <laughs> to do a murder in? Yeah, because all the walls are completely silenced. There's like soundproof curtains behind us. No one can hear anything we do here. <laughs> I'm a bit on edge as of this Loki, moment. Loki, I'm like, yeah. the door's just yeah. there. The closest to the door still. They won't hear you. There's no, there's no point. First, we've got staff writer Simon Charles to help us out of the scene. How you doing? Not bad, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Not too bad. So um, could you like explain what the rental market kind of looks like, especially for young people now? Uh, it looks very, very bad. It's not all just about you as individuals and feeling that you need to work super hard in order to be worthy of this thing. The market is really difficult for people. Like property is extremely expensive right now. I, I couldn't really consider buying a house right now and I've got a salaried job. The situation is just like extremely difficult, particularly for young people, particularly if you're in a precarious job or if you know, you're on an hourly wage or, I mean, like wages are just like really bad these days. <laughs> also, people should have a right to spend a bit of money on the weekend. Yeah, of course. And also, like, a lot of people, even if they really try to save loads of money, they will find it incredibly difficult. And I don't know, like, how much you have to save to, like, put on a mortgage in a house now? It's, like, crazy. I think it's, like, 10 grand maybe starting at around that. I think it'd be Ooh, no. more. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait, so I'm thinking wait, about a few years ago still. And that's just mortgages. Like, that's sort of the middle of the scale. Like, 
further down the scale, it's difficult for people to save for deposits to rent. It's difficult for people to just afford rent in general. And and also, you know, the level of homelessness in London is absolutely massive. And I'm not just talking about people living on the street, although there are loads of people having to do that. And that's really tragic. But also what's called hidden homeless, which is people who don't really have a home, but they're sort of staying in kind of <coughs> hostels or halfway yeah, houses like temporary yeah. accommodation in a yeah. sense yeah yeah there's loads of that like, it, it's a complete housing crisis and it's like some of the living conditions are are bad in a lot of like lower class areas you know like council estates and really old blocks like where i live in stonebridge they just finished like rebuilding a new build and it's now like that land was all owned by council but now just that section which was the last block to get knocked down is like privately owned so we have the whole estate that's all of the new council houses and then we just have this like new luxurious looking building that's privately owned and it's and just like to live across the road where it is is it's crazy amounts of money Santos, you actually touched on something that's quite important about gentrified areas as well, because you said about how there's a private building that's just been built and no one in your area, in the council area that you live in, will be able to afford to live there. So do you think that's a huge issue as to why like prices of properties have been inflated because of gentrification and like how that's happened? Yeah, 100%. And it's also not a sort of mistake or anything. It's like it's state policy, basically. If you think about the 70s and 80s or whatever, or like maybe the 60s, like London would slowly change, places will become fashionable, slightly richer people move in, poorer people maybe need to move out, whatever, and it like kind of slowly changes. And there were probably like problems and issues with that, but at the same time, it happened slowly. What happened basically since 1997 in London, particularly like councils aggressively having policies to on purpose make areas richer to like basically get rid of social problems by getting rid of poor people. It was like very on purpose social cleansing, basically. And like, so th- those those like new kind of swanky flats you're talking about replacing some old council flats. Politicians have decided to make that happen. To an extent, their hands are a little bit tied by like national government policy. No, their hands are tied by government policy. However, it's all this kind of state project to do this on purpose. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that it goes beyond just the increase of price in terms of properties. I think it's actually more of a racial and like socioeconomic kind of the stereotypes and discrimination kind of from the government in the positions that they're in, like privileged positions, they kind of see that instead of actually helping people to elevate themselves um, economically, they will just try and move you out. And they think that's the solution to tackling crime and like um, the issues within those areas as well. And I just think it's just so typical. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like in terms of estates, what happens is a lot of the time, um, you know, the council will start, Firstly, not investing in the estate, not keeping it up because they they want to get rid of it. So, so you know, suddenly the heating doesn't work and the lifts don't work and and whatever, and the whole place becomes run down. And then they start saying, "Oh, this estate is actually a problem estate. It's a sink estate. No one would want to live here. It's it's full of crime and like drugs and stuff." But it's deliberate neglect. They've kind of made that happen by mm-hmm. neglecting it. Yeah, and then their neglect becomes then the reason to actually knock the whole thing down entirely and put like some completely unaffordable flats. Yeah, it's like pretty cynical all right so let's flip the cards yeah it would be really hard to save up but let me ask you a question if you were to win the lottery tomorrow Mm -hmm. would the first thing you do be buy a house and invest into more property in london (laughs) or would you like just enjoy the money like travel the world and just get out of here uh i i like fantasize about winning lottery a lot me too (laughs) um i would definitely enjoy it a bit and get out for a bit i would i would buy a house for myself um, I don't think I would invest in property because 
Not because that wouldn't be a like prudent financial decision, because it would, but because... It would make you scum, Simon. Yeah, it? I mean, Joel's going to get onto this, I'm sure. Um, mm. But I think, you know, part of the problem is the fact that people are profiting from people having to pay rent. Wouldn't it be great to be a landlord? Uh, it's perfect to be a landlord because you can make a lot of money if you have a property. Funnily enough, I have a mate who is basically a landlord. He doesn't work. He's what you call a gentleman sportsman. Uh, he like, does water sports and stuff. And it is just sort of too easy to make money being a landlord. So it's the jealousy there is or what, whether, you know, the bad feelings are still quite high. <laughs> Because of the capitalist system that we live in, there are an awful lot of bad landlords out there that give good landlords a bad name. So, Joel, when Simon said if he won the lottery, he would, you know, buy his own house to live in, but wouldn't buy a second house to rent out and, you know, be a private landlord, you then said that, you know, if he did buy that second house, he would be scum. Like, could you just explain that? And because, you know, if I wanted to make a bit of extra money now and I sure. bought a second house, in the back of my mind, I'd be like, am I a scum? Yeah, you would be scum. Could you tell me why, please? Of course, I'd be happy to call you scum to your face. The point is every private landlord is scum. And the reason for that is because they're profiting from a fundamental basic human need, which is to have shelter. And it's fine to own your own home, but the way... The, the rental market has become since about the late 90s. A lot of that is to do with the boom in buy-to-let landlords, which was started from a, I think it was a Labour government scheme where they sort of gave uh, sort of nice loan rates to people who wanted to be landlords to help them buy property when there was a sort of inverse property bubble over time, which completely backfired in everyone's faces. So the reason that the rental market is the way it is, which is bad, there's no other way of saying that. It's overpriced, the quality of life is not as good as it should be, and we all have to change our expectations on not just home ownership, but renting and the cities that we can possibly live in. And all of that is to do with the fact that landlords run this town, and they do that by gobbling up the property, owning more than they need, renting it out at a rate that they get to dictate. They get to make the numbers up. There's no laws or caps in place. If they want to raise your rent at the end of your year-long tenancy, to they them. just do it. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to touch on like the shared ownership schemes. Now I'm kind of limited in knowledge to that, but do you want to just explain what they are? I think shared ownership, a government scheme made to try and make things a little bit easier for people where you buy some of the house and not all of it and sort of pay a bit of rent and a bit of mortgage. What I would say is that is an example of a kind of government policy which is kind of um, like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. But a lot of government schemes try and help people, have tried to help people buy houses rather than addressing the housing crisis and making sure the market is makes more sense and there's loads more houses for everyone and people can afford to rent or buy or whatever. And basically a lot of government schemes have helped kind of middle class people who couldn't quite afford to buy. And in doing so, they've actually made houses more expensive, basically. But then there's obviously loads and loads of people below that for whom... Who can't. Yeah, and it's been made even more unattainable. So like there's a thing called help to buy, which is another government scheme. And that has just inflated the housing market again. Isn't that that thing that's by um, Nationwide? 
where they do like the ISA or is that something else? Well, the Help to Buy is is like a, a fancy government-sponsored ISA. So I think most banks offer it. And I think it's essentially you pay £200 in a month and then it gets matched with a, a £50 uh, government contribution, but only if you use that money to buy a property. And those properties are new builds only and they have to be in a certain price range um, which is lower in the rest of the country and then in London it's about I want to say 440 grand or something but I don't really think 440,000 pound new builds particularly exist in London so you can kind of I'm quite cynical about the scheme obviously but you can save into it if you have your spare 200 pounds a month so I do know people who've done that and now have a property sort of in London where they are, if nothing else, allowed to do the things that you're not allowed to do when you rent. You're allowed to have a cat and paint a wall and put a shelf up and do the kind of humanising things that the rental market takes away from us. But uh, you are also fundamentally sort of stuck on a quite rigid payment system that's dictated by whoever built and owns and runs a property. Yeah, that's so interesting because I really thought that that whole um, help to buy kind of scheme would be something that is actually quite useful to young people, especially with the government contribution, which is why I asked, mm. because I'd just seen something about that as well. And I was thinking, oh, that looks like a good thing, but never mind. Um, yeah, just, <laughs> that was the voice of a man who spent a lot of time <laughs> like researching it and I eventually being pissed I don't want to sound too cynical because there are ways of, of completely making it work and, and it can work. And if nothing else, it is an option and it is... Uh, it's better than nothing. I was just wondering um, how important you guys find it to actually own a home because when you think about the stress surrounding actually getting it, how important is it to actually own it? Has it lost its importance? Because I know when my parents are growing up, like you, like Simon said earlier, to kind of rent was just not an option for them. So they just worked and worked and worked until they could afford it. And I think prices were probably a lot cheaper back then, like in the 70s and 80s anyway. Is it really that important to own a home? I think... Property ownership is not necessarily that important, but what, you know, owning a house means to people in this country, you know, like Joel was saying, painting a wall, owning a pet, whatever. And I think that those are things, those, those things plus security are what's actually important. So whether it's making a housing market that's a lot more affordable for people to buy, or whether it's building a load of new, like, council housing that's actually good and that people have really good rights in, whatever it is, what's important is people have a, a home, like a home, not like a, a flat, like something you can call a home that is secure, that you can make a home, you can do what you want, that you're not going to get evicted at a moment's notice from. I think that's what's important. And I think and I think those things generally in this country have tended to mean owning a house. Yeah, if I can jump on that as well. Please. I've written about property for a while now and... Um, what someone accused me of once, they were talking about the kind of uh, English fetishization of home ownership, which I'd never reconsidered really before. And it makes sense, you know, there's everyone in every discussion about renting in London, someone will always cite the sort of German Berlin market where rents are fixed. And once you sign a contract, that's what you pay for the life of that contract. And it's not up for renewal every year in the same way it is in London and stuff like that. And people are allowed to, well, able to put down roots in the places they rent, which in the current London rental market 
uh, especially the way it's evolved in the last decade or so, you can't in the same way. And home ownership isn't important, important. It's not the be all and end all if you have a roof over your head. But people find it important because the contrast is being part of a rental market, which fundamentally isn't great. It doesn't feel cozy and homely and it doesn't feel welcoming and it doesn't feel like you're anything other than a, a deposit check that is moving through it from house to house to house. So home ownership is like glamorized, I suppose, and, and it's made this sort of big life milestone in the same like way that getting married would be or having a kid and it's it's not quite as significant as that really but when the alternative is being stuck in the sort of whirlpool of the rental market it suddenly becomes a lot more amplified and more important to people to be able to like pick their own sofa yeah no i think that's true i think um i do think that owning a home kind of represents establishment of yourself and represents like a a part of your life that you've achieved it's a, definitely an achievement there's a sense of pride around it as well and I think actually people are going out of their way and almost inconveniencing themselves sometimes through wanting to own a home but at the same time like you said if the other alternative is just being in this endless cycle of kind of just paying rent and owing people I can see why people want to own a home and have their own place to go to and their own sense of security like imagine like being religious you know, and you want to put a picture up on a wall or something and you can't do that or like you just don't have freedom. And it's like you're already paying to have some sort of freedom, your own space or like, whatever you want to call it. But it's like there's always something you can't do. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so there was this one landlord who moved us in. This was, this was in Leeds. Uh, the house was mouldy, but it was a reasonably priced rent. Um, but then unfortunately, without, and without warning, the landlord decided to start renovating the entire kitchen. Um, and I've got a, a skin condition eczema, and it means that dust is really bad. So um, I said that I didn't want the renovations happening. We didn't know that the, that the whole place was going to be renovated, bearing in mind the kitchen's now a, a building site already. And the landlord didn't just disregard our concerns completely. Then we asked the builders to, to, not, to not continue the job, which they said, no, they're going to continue the job. So we rang the police and said that there might be a breach of a piece. We showed the police the emails and they said, that's fine, stop the work there. So they did. Uh, then when it came to the end of the year, the landlord, Gary his name was, he'd, he'd completely obliterated our deposits um, and was saying that because of the damage to the kitchen, which was done by the builders of course, he wasn't, he wasn't willing to give us any of our deposits back and it was, there was three of us living there and it was a total of £1,000, so quite a significant amount of money. Uh, and then someone advised us to contact uh, the tenancy deposit scheme to make sure that Gary had in fact um, 
uh, protected our deposits, which you would have to have done within two weeks of, um, of receiving them, yeah. So then they informed us that Gary had protected the deposit, but that day, because this was as we were moving out and we'd rang Gary and asked him if he's protected the deposit under the tenancy deposit scheme and he'd confirmed that he had, and then he'd obviously panicked and protected it there and then. So we knew that, and then, then we got back in touch with the landlord and said, um, you know, we know that you didn't protect the deposit within two weeks, so we want the full deposits returned, um, and uh, otherwise we're going to apply uh, to have, um, I think you can apply for three times the amount of the deposit back, if, if that's the case. And then Gary returned it, returned it that day. So Joel... You um, actually have a specific column on Vice about this. And do you want to explain actually what that is and what you talk about? Yeah, um, it's uh, it's called like Rental Opportunity for Week now. It used to be more focused on London, but it can be anywhere. Uh, and what we do is every week we find a property, a flat that is currently for rent in London. And we try and find the worst one. And there's always one. There's always every single week without fail. I've never failed to find a bad property. Like what things do you notice about these Well, there, there's sort of trends in, in the way that shitty properties work. And also I need to caveat it by saying that um, really cheap properties, real sort of bedsit ones, real sort of £400 a month ones that aren't nice at the very, very low end of the market still do fundamentally serve a purpose because people need somewhere to live. We tend to shy away from those and go to the ones that are closer to the sort of average rental spend in London, which I think is between about seven and £800 at the moment per month. Sometimes the toilet will be in the kitchen, which is not normal, or sometimes the shower will literally just be in your front room which again is not normal and it's uh, kind of about how these rooms in London have been squeezed and squeezed and so those are those are the things we sort of focus on. Uh, other trends are mezzanine beds. There will be a little bit like a bunk bed sort of built into your main living room area. So instead of an actual bedroom, you'll just kind of have a, a shelf with a mattress on it that you climb with a little ladder or... Uh, you will rent places like the one we talked about today. It was about £900 a month and it was essentially a repurposed corridor from someone else's house and the bed was just the sofa. So you fold it down every night and then fold it back up and you live in a corridor in Stockwell for £900 a month. When you think about quality of life, that's a bit shit, isn't it? It's like living in prison. Mm. Yeah. But, well, actually, sometimes I have looked up... Um, the EU regulations on cell size to compare them to particularly small properties. And we have had some that are smaller than prison cells. So, like, some laws are being broken here? Well, yeah. I have a pet theory that the London rental market in this glorious year 2020 is actually actively bad for romance because here's a scenario. You meet someone... Yeah, okay, after about three months, you're like, maybe they are my girlfriend or boyfriend, cool. You go on some cool dates, but actually, in about four months' time, their lease is up, and in five months, yours is up. And so suddenly, to save a little bit of money, you realise that it would kind of actually be more sensible 
if you cohabited in a one bed because then you would both save money on rent because you're splitting things down the middle. You both have a couple of extra £100 every month. You can do those trips to Paris you always talk about. You know, you can go on those dates to the fancy meals. Live their best want. life. Exactly. Instagram shit. But actually what happens is you two are suddenly living together and arguing over pizza and you've only been going out like nine months and there's that pressure there and you're locked in a year-long uh, tenancy agreement that you kind of barreled into because at the start of summer you were like young and in love and now you've had to buy a special candle to leave in the toilet every time they shit and you're like I'm not sure I like this as much as I did it's like I can imagine as well like you just had an argument and it's like you know I don't want to sleep with you tonight I'm going to yeah. sleep on the couch but yeah. the couch is in the same room yeah exactly <laughs> the couch, so, is, the couch is the bed so yeah. there is no there's no doghouse left for you to go and sleep no escape yeah I, I think it's bad in terms of that so just based off of everything you said like I just feel like people are getting ripped off for like the the quality of life they're living no, I understand where you're coming from to be yeah. honest and I also wanted to just touch on like the effects that that, that has on young people anyway because I mean we're under a lot of financial stress anyway mm-hmm. I think about like mental health as well that pressure that we're under to support ourselves and we're just being thrown into this kind of loop of just not being able to afford anything not to like get too deep but don't you think that would like maybe increase the levels of like suicide you know because I know there was even a documentary on BBC iPlayer about someone who just couldn't afford to live where they were living, a young boy, um, and he lived in a, like a low economic area in London and he killed himself and it was in the news at one point and it was just t- like touching on the issues within like property and how that can mentally affect people our age. What do you think the future's looking like? Because for me, it's looking a bit bleak. So yeah. what do you guys think? It is bleak. I mean, yeah, and I think that link between housing and mental health is like very you're right to bring it up because obviously like on a basic level it's it's stressful not being able to afford things is stressful like sort of being on a rat race and like on a treadmill to try and pay your rent is stressful um communities breaking down is bad for people's mental health like yeah all, all, all that stuff is true and like yeah I mean it is it is a bit bleak like I wouldn't say the future's bleak I'd say the current reality is bleak and the future's um, Bright, I hope. Well, like, yeah, it could it could get worse, but it it could get better, and hopefully, there will be changes in policy to make things better. I, I mean, I do think the situation with housing in London at the moment is so bad that, like, kind of like something has to give. Like, something surely will change. You know, be that through people protesting and like demanding things change, or you know, the market crashes or whatever. Like, it kind of can't go on. It's kind of not, it's not, it doesn't work. And so it doesn't work, so it won't work, if you know what I mean. And it's surely going to change. But yeah, things are pretty bad right now. And like, you know, people should be trying to change it. This is a a very London-focused sort of the way we're all talking about. We live in London and it is easier in other places, but it's still not easy. It's never easy. It's just close to impossible here. Thank you so much, Simon and Joe, for coming in. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Um, I hope you're not too depressed after meeting us, but thank you for I'm having going us. to therapy straight after this. <laughs> so, Amelia, how did you find that chat? 
It just really woke me up because we do have this kind of blame culture, especially being under pressure to like save and whatever. But I feel like it's not even really to do with us. Saving is such a minor part, like a minuscule part of actually what happens around the property world. So kind of hearing about what they had to say about that was really insightful for me. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, like it just made me think twice about a lot of things, like especially the kind of career path that I'm choosing. I do feel like I, I will be traveling the world a lot. So I kind of feel like buying a house in London or wherever, if I'm traveling a lot, you know, I wouldn't really spend that much time at my house. So maybe that's something that I'll probably only consider or look at in the distant future, not so much the near future. Yeah, because I feel like there needs to be stuff in the curriculum that actually tackles these things and more from a realistic perspective. So kind of give us the truth, like the ins and outs of what renting is like, because Joel and Simon did not hold back. Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly. I've been Amelia. And I've been Santos. And thanks a lot to Simon Childs and Joel Golby for coming to chat. You can find more of their articles on vice.com. This episode was produced by the Vent Production team. Jess Lawson, Amelia Gill, Maweed Majid, Ali Adlington and Kamaya Shea Cowell. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.